Okay, so, so Paul says there's one body, there's one spirit, there's, there's this idea of oneness, and he's talking about the church and how we are to operate together as the church. Uh, he says, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore I, uh, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to persevere or to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he has that great passage on one that we just mentioned. One body, one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. So he's talking to the church about the church. He's saying, here's how we operate. Here's how we get along. Here's how we do things. This was God's goal. It was a oneness. You've been called in one baptism, not many baptisms. Uh, you have one uh, Holy Spirit, not many spirits. Uh, you have one Father. You have one Lord. The church is to be one. And he talks about that idea of unity throughout the chapter. And then we get down to verse 12. And it's a passage that those of you that have heard me have heard me you know, quote this passage many times. Verses 11 and 12. He gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so, if we pause here for just a second, what was the purpose of God establishing some individuals to be prophets, some individuals to be pastors, to be uh, uh, apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be uh, pastors and teachers. What was the purpose of all of that? To give us the tools that we need to build up the body until mm -hmm. we all are one, until we have that unity. Yeah, absolutely. I like the way you said that, to give us the tools. He says the equipping of the saints until we reach that unity of faith and that unity of knowledge, and we become the mature man of Christ. As a church, we have those things. Uh, some of you are history buffs. Some of you may not be history buffs. Uh, but, you know, there was the, the Army of, of, of the Potomac, uh, which I think was... Uh, my history buffness just went away. Uh, but I think it was during the, uh, uh, the Revolutionary War. Or maybe what... Uh, yeah, the Revolutionary War, the, the Army of the Potomac, just drilling and drilling and drilling and drilling and drilling and drilling and not involved in combat. We don't get to Christian service just to drill. There is a purpose in what we do as a church and how we are to operate as Christians. And Paul says God gave these folks to equip the saints. Now, if we look at this passage, we see that there are four, maybe five, positions of leadership or positions of service that Paul mentions here. First are apostles, next were prophets. And I believe that as we study the New Testament, we see those folks fading away from Scripture. Meaning, 
once you have Scripture settled, Jude verse 3, the gospel which was once for all given. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, some of these gifts are going to go away, but faith, love, joy, these things are going to remain. Uh, I, and I think as we look at Scripture, we see those things fading. The recognized apostles, uh, the 11 original apostles, Judas has died. Uh, Paul is installed as an apostle. Some would make an argument that Barnabas at the same time uh, in, in Acts was, was perhaps maybe a, a, an apostle. But you had a limited number of individuals who served that role. And when they died, they died. You don't see other people becoming apostles in the New Testament. You don't see a process where those existing apostles made other men apostles. They were made apostles by Christ, or they were made apostles, in Paul's case, uh, by the Holy Spirit and by Christ. Uh, and so you don't see those things being passed on in the New Testament. But then he gives at least two, maybe three, some would say, other positions of leadership in the church. One is evangelists, euangelists in the Greek. And then, and in the Greek, that's set as one. And then he says, and pastors and teachers. And in the Greek text, those are grouped together as if it's one individual. Pormenon, is an infinitive form of the word, shepherd, and teachers. And we see that phrase in the Greek, when we look in Acts chapter 20 and some other places, to be applied to what we're going to call elders or what we see as being elders. And so Paul says you have evangelists and you have elders here in Ephesians chapter 4. And their purpose is to equip the church to do works of service until we have a unity of faith, a unity of knowledge, and we become a mature man. So when people say, well, why in the church do you have leadership positions the way that you do? Well, one is because that's the example that we have in the New Testament church. We have Paul saying God has made some to be in these positions. How has he made them to be in those positions? Okay, that may be uh, something harder for us to identify, but Paul says, look, God has appointed some to be in these positions. God has put some in these positions uh, for this purpose, to equip the saints. Okay, uh, And so we see these in the early church. Uh, when we look in the book of Acts... We find, first of all, that after Jesus' resurrection, the apostles seem to be the ones who lead the church. And really, that makes sense. Okay, Paul, Paul tells them, I want, or Jesus tells them rather, uh, in Acts chapter 1, go to Jerusalem and wait uh, until what, what I'm sending comes upon you. So they go and do that. And then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the apostles as tongues of fire. Not being tongues of fire, but as tongues of fire comes on them, sets them apart. They're miraculously able to speak in languages they've never studied before. They've never learned. And as we witness that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we come down to uh, verse 42. And it says they were continually devoting themselves, that is, these new Christians, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of the bread. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And so in the early church, the leadership of the church 
educating the church were these apostles. As we flip through the book of Acts, we see occasional references to people that perhaps served as prophets. We can look at the book of Jude. Many people believe that Jude was a brother of Jesus, that uh, uh, James perhaps was one of the brothers of Jesus, and, and so they perhaps were serving as, as prophets that wrote scripture. But everything else was written by an apostle. Uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, many people think uh, maybe Paul or someone close to Paul wrote, wrote Hebrews. Uh, there's a handful of folks that think, well, maybe Peter wrote uh, Hebrews, or maybe Barnabas did. We don't need to define that today. I mean, there's hundreds of books that have been written on that topic, right? Uh, but my point is, you had s- some prophets that wrote Scripture that encouraged the church, that taught the church, but primarily we see the apostles taking on that leadership position. <clears throat> when we come over here to uh, Acts chapter 6, there's a problem in the church. And the problem in the church is that uh, not all of the widows are being taken care of, taken care of, taken take care of for, being cared for. And, and some of the, the Hellenistic Jews, uh, Greek-speaking Jews, were not being cared for in the same way that the Hebraic or the Hebrew-speaking Maybe Judean Jews were being cared for. And so there is a little bit of a conflict there, a little bit of division uh, in the church because of that. So let's notice how that is resolved and how that relates to our idea of leadership in the church. Uh, can I have somebody read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 uh, through 7, please? Anybody have that? Okay, go ahead, Nancy. All right. Thank you. Okay, so what's, I've already kind of said, but somebody tell me, uh, what was the problem going on in Jerusalem? Okay. Yeah, the, the widows who needed to be cared for weren't being cared for, okay? And how did the congregation respond to that? Who didn't even know the 
Uh, okay, okay, maybe the church said they were busy doing other things. Okay. Uh, Mm-hmm. Okay. Eventually, we get to having seven people that are able to take care of that need, right? Notice the steps that took place, okay? Number one, in verse one, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because they weren't being overlooked, okay? So first of all, the congregation lets it be known. Hey, some of these folks aren't being cared for. It seems to be a little bit of an ethnic thing, okay? Now, if you're a, a Jew, I guess it doesn't really matter, you know, it's, but you had some people in the Mediterranean world that grew up outside of Judea that mostly spoke probably Greek. Those are the Hellenistic Jews. And then you had people that probably grew up in Judea and maybe even more specifically Jerusalem who probably could still speak the native Hebrew, Okay. So there's a little bit of a thumbing of the nose, okay, at, uh, oh, you don't speak Hebrew. You're not a real Jew, okay? There may have been some of that. But Luke seems to articulate for us, here was the division, okay? And so the congregation makes a complaint. They say, hey, what's going on here? Okay? How did, first of all, who responds? Who responds to the complaint? If you look in verse 2. Okay, the 12, right? So uh, when I was mentioning apostles earlier, I left off Matthias, right, who was appointed to take uh, Judas's place. Okay, and so you have the 12. The, the 12 take the leadership. And do they deal with the problem by saying, oh, it's not really a problem, just go away? Do they deal with the problem by, by dismissing one group against the other? They prayed, okay? They prayed, but they summoned, summoned the church together, right? Okay? And they said, here's a problem, let's talk about it. Here's a problem, let's deal with it. Okay? Uh, and so they summon the congregation, and they tell the congregation, we're not going to do it. We're not going to take care of feeding these widows. Right? Isn't that what they said? Verse 12? I mean... Isn't that what they said? I mean, at the 12 of them weren't going to do it. Now, was it because they were going to be snobs? What was the reason, Abby, that they weren't going to do it? Well, they had... <laughs> I was going to say, well, they had other obligations. They yeah. Had... They did have other obligations, didn't they? They said, our obligation, or what we need to do, is the ministry of the word and of prayer, Right? So as leaders of the church, they needed to be actively involved in spreading the gospel. Now remember, the word apostle, by the way, means one sent. These were men who had been appointed by Jesus specifically to go and preach. More so even than as we think about missionaries, they had this responsibility. And so, but they don't just say, well, we're not going to care about the issue. They didn't say, we're not going to pay attention to it. They said, let's find a solution. We need to be doing this. So we can't be involved in, in taking care of the, the issue with the widows. But it still needs to get done. We're just not the ones that 
need to be focused on that. We have other responsibilities, okay? And so what do they do? What's the next step? It's not desirable for us to neglect the word in order to serve tables. Therefore, what? Yeah. They tell the congregation, you go and look among yourselves. Select from among yourselves seven men, and they give different, uh, different uh, qualifications. Now, it's important for us to pause here for just a second because the, the word from which we get the term deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. Okay, that's the noun form. Okay, and that means a waiter on a table. When you go to on the border, when you go to Olive Garden, when you go to a restaurant, you have a waiter on the table. That's a diakonos. Uh, it was sometimes used more broadly to refer to someone who serves. And so it has the idea of, of servant. Different in the New Testament from doulos, which is a slave, okay, but one who serves. The noun form of the verb, there's a couple different noun forms. Uh, ministry or service, diakoneia, uh, is uh, a ministry, a, a form of, of serving. Uh, and then you have the verb form. And so as we look at this, this passage, diakonos, deacon, is never used. But the verb and, and word for ministry and the verb for going out and doing ministry is used all the way through here. When it says to wait on tables, is using the verb form diakonos. Okay? And so this is where I think maybe we get the term deacon. Uh, we see deacon used very seldom in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul says that he's writing to the elders and deacons who are at Philippi. Uh, in uh, 1 Timothy, Paul, Paul gives uh, the qualifications for Deacons, diakonos. Um, and I, I think that's uh, the, the passages where we see the title deacon used. Occasionally you see diakonos used in its generic sense of serving. Okay? I believe in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, when it refers to Phoebe as a diakonos. It doesn't use the uh, sometimes butchered word deaconess. Okay, that was a Catholic term that people looked back at to apply to Phoebe. But in 16 verse 1 just says that she's a servant. And then a couple of verses later it talks about how she served. And the way she served was being a patron to people that needed and, and, uh, to individual, individuals and churches doing ministry. And it uses a very specific term for her a couple of verses later to talk about how she served in that role. Uh, but I say all that to say, here's the first time we, we see this idea of waiting and serving. And it literally was serving food to these widows. Okay, so we got sidetracked for just a second. Uh, but yes, in verse 3 he says, uh, select from among yourselves, or select from among you, seven men, and he gives their qualifications. Look at verse 5. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen. And it lists all those other folks that they gave. Uh, and they brought them to the apostles. Verse 6, And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid their hands on them. 
So the congregation selected the men and brought them to the apostles. Now what's interesting in this passage is you don't see elders mentioned here. And I can't tell you for sure why, but I think maybe it might just be the case that at this point in the church's history in Jerusalem, maybe they hadn't, didn't have elders yet. Later on in Acts, there's going to be another controversy. And the controversy is going to be caused by people going out from the church in Jerusalem, spreading false doctrine, and people gather in Jerusalem to know how to deal with it. And it says that the, of the church in Jerusalem, the apostles and the elders gathered to discuss that issue. So between uh, Acts 6 and later on, I think it's Acts 15, where they have the Jerusalem conference, now they have elders. But up to this point, we don't see elders mentioned. And that's important for us, because I think there's a lot of churches today that think, oh, if we don't have elders, we can't have deacons. Yeah. But we don't see that. We don't see elders yet. Now, some people might say, well, they had apostles, and so it was different. They were appointing people to take care of a task. Now, what kind of a task was it? How would you describe this task that they were taking care of? Was it a spiritual task? Yeah, it was meeting a physical need. It was a real need. It was a physical need. Now, were these godly men that they put in charge of this task? Did they have spiritual qualifications? Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and so they had these qualities to themselves. And yet they were taking care of a physical need. And the purpose of having them do this physical work or take care of this physical need was so that the apostles, if you look back again at the text, verse 4, I believe it is, was so that the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So you had spiritual work and you had physical work. That doesn't necessarily mean that these deacons got off from doing spiritual work because later on we're going to see Philip and we're going to see Stephen doing some very specific spiritual work. Right, in Acts 8, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching, he gets stoned by the Jews, he dies. Acts chapter 8, Philip goes down uh, to Samaria and, and preaches there. I don't think that's Philip the Apostle because later on the Apostles hear about his work and they send two of the Apostles down uh, to follow up with those folks. So I think it's Philip the deacon that's preaching in Samaria. So the deacons, even though they were appointed to take care of the physical tasks, some of them also did spiritual work, also did preaching and teaching. But as far as them serving as deacons, they had a physical task, and it was a singular task. They were appointed to take care of this work. So what that means for us is we think about how we are structured as a church and the organization that we sometimes see in the, or that we see in the church and the leadership we see in the church is that you had individuals in the New Testament that were placed in charge of a specific work that was a physical work, and the men that were responsible for that Seem to, care, seem to carry the title deacon. Again, it doesn't call them deacons here in Acts chapter 6. Later on, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes to the elders and deacons. What do they do, Paul, in the church of Philippi? doesn't say. doesn't mention them again. In Timothy, we see Paul giving the, the uh, qualifications for the deacons. What's their job? Paul doesn't tell us in, in, in Timothy. Didn't mean to cut you off there, Linda. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but it, it's 
we see the title, we see the qualifications. In those other passages, we don't see their work. In Acts chapter 6, we see the work. We see the word family being used almost in every verse in Acts chapter 6. But we don't see the title deacon. In my mind, they go together. Okay? But there are, there are some that would say, well, you can't make that leap since you, since you don't have the complete link. Okay, I'm fine with that. But it seems to me that that's the case. You had people that were taking care of physical needs in the church. And there's a selection process here. Uh, when, later on, when we talk about selecting elders, there's not a selection process for elders. There are qualifications given, but there's not a process. The only process we see in the New Testament for selecting leaders in the church is here in Acts chapter 6. And that is that the apostles said, select from among yourselves. And the church did that. And there were qualifications. And the people that they selected had those qualifications. And then they brought them to the apostles who in Jerusalem were the spiritual leaders of the church. And they laid their hands on them. Laying the hands on the phrase, laying the hands throughout the New Testament seems to be a, a way of signifying we are now installing this person into a, into a position of authority. Yeah. The same, the same way that uh, when I was a congressional aide, I had the honor of going to a couple military changes of command. And it was very formal. Uh, and it was a way of, it served the purpose of letting everyone in that unit know, this is now the person from this second on, this is the person you're following. You know, And uh, that seems to be kind of the same use of that phrase in the New Testament. That's important when you get to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I think when Paul says, don't lay hands on anyone too quickly. You know, we think of laying hands on, you know. Uh, uh, that's how we think of laying hands on. But in the New Testament, it seems to be installing someone in a position of authority. Uh, and, and Paul says to Timothy, as the evangelist in Ephesus, don't lay hands on anyone too quickly. Okay? Uh, and so here we have, I think, the installation of deacons. And we see the kind of work that they, that they do. I once had a deacon tell me he was going to pull, pull rank on me uh, in, in, a, in a ministry that we were, that we were working on, uh, uh, kind of coordinating things together. He didn't like uh, certain, certain things. Uh, and he actually said, I'm going to pull rank on you. And I thought that was very interesting. But anyway, I digress. I probably have to edit that out of the tape. But anyway, uh, well, that's, that's you know. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the thing is, you know, in, in many congregations today, we get the idea that deacons are sometimes a lower-ranking elder, you know. The elders are upper management and deacons are lower management. You know, that's almost the way that we approach it because we have such a business model in our country. We are so economically centered in our country that that's really how many churches see it. And they're two completely different things. And you can have someone that is a wonderful deacon, well-equipped to do the, uh, a particular job that's simply not qualified to be an elder. And, I, you know, it does 
give us the opportunity to see how someone is, is, is working. You know, Paul does say in 2 Timothy, uh, or 1 Timothy, I believe, when he's talking about deacons, take note of those that, that serve well. You know, so we, we, we do that. Uh, but it, sometimes we treat it as a management, you know, corporate ladder. Go ahead, Linda. But that doesn't really, those that serve well doesn't mean just deacons. Could be, means, yeah. Yeah, means the whole congregation, mm-hmm. in, in my mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. But to me, the structure that they were lying out, mm-hmm. <coughs> laying out as they went through this with uh, the establishment of deacons, mm-hmm. it's to provide the unity and the ability for the congregation to have security to know what to do in certain situations mm-hmm. because then they know where to go. Yeah. If there's defined areas where some are responsible, then that could be an asset yeah. to the congregation. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and so again, we look at the circumstance here in Acts chapter 6. You had some widows that were, that obviously were being cared for, taken care of, and some that weren't. So what did the el- what did the apostles say? Find people of good reputation. You know, uh, if we look at this quali- the qualifications again, uh, verse six or verse three rather, good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Okay, and so they had to be of good reputation, and they had to have wisdom. And the apostles were going to put them in charge of this task. They were going to be responsible for that specific task. So the elders, or the apostles rather, didn't have to worry about it anymore. They knew the problem was being taken care of, and they knew that these men were going to be responsible men to go and get that specific task done. And they didn't make a big decision. Correct. Correct. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so s- these seven men equally were responsible for getting, getting this task done. Now, it doesn't tell us any more about how they got it done, uh, the steps that they took, uh, but collectively as the seven, they were responsible for getting this work done, and, and they did it, you know. So uh, the only reference, I think, to the work of deacons that, that we see in the New Testament and, and it was supposed to relieve the burden on the spiritual leaders of the church, the apostles, so that they could go and do the spiritual things that they needed to be doing. So, uh, Before we move on, does anyone else have a comment or, or a question or, or a statement they want to make? Yeah, yeah, it, you know, uh, and again, you know, I've had people point out and, and argue and say, it doesn't call them deacons, so you can't call them deacons, okay? And I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge the authority of Scripture and uh, in, in stopping and saying, I can't say 100% what Scripture itself does not say. 
But throughout Acts chapter 6, it uses all the other words in the word family. Uh, for ministry, uh, for serving on the tables, all of those are either diakone or some of the other uh, uh, words from that family of words. Uh, and so it seems to me that that's what they are. But, I mean, yeah, you look at the rest of the New Testament, nothing given for the work of deacon. So I think this is the example for us. We're already out of time. I can't believe that. Uh, and so we'll pick up with church leadership next week. Uh, read uh, ahead for next week, if you will, Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through uh, 21. And then we'll uh, go ahead and read verse 22. Too. Well, just read Acts 15, 1 through 29. Acts 15, 1 through 29. And we'll pick up there next week. Thank you. Appreciate your attention.